Well, good evening. And as I always start out whenever I teach, I just remind everybody I'm not Pastor Steve. So, since I'm not Pastor Steve tonight. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, let's pray. Let's open in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can get together to hear from you, to direct our path, to give us guidance as we maneuver through this life. We thank you for your word that will come forth. I thank you, Father God, that you use me in the way that you would have it to be beneficial to everyone here tonight, those who are joining us by way of the internet. We look to you always, Father God, because you are our Father. You are Abba Father and your Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior and Lord and the Holy Spirit that leads and guides us into all truth. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, good evening. It's good to see you all. It's good to see you all here. And, you know, when Pastor asked me about teaching, I said, yes, you know, I had something brewing in, in my notebook. And then as he went through his series, as he's been going through his series, many of the points he was hitting were the points in my notebook. So, of course, I go to Pastor and I said, well, Pastor, I don't really think, you know, I should teach this. And he goes, ah, oh, you'll come up with a different perspective. So go ahead anyway. So here we are. And tonight we're going to talk about plan, path, and position. There are many aspects of God. We give him many characteristics. He has many traits, and some of them are loving, merciful, kind, creative, protective, and so many other names of our God. While I was reading through the Old Testament a few years ago, and I always found the Old Testament to be very difficult uh, because, you know, there's a bunch of begots and there's a bunch of, you know, instructions to all 12 tribes. It's all 12 tribes get the same thing. And you have to read it over and over again if you go through Numbers and Deuteronomy. And I asked the Holy Spirit, I said, could you open the Old Testament for me and make it fun? And one of the things that the Holy Spirit revealed to me while, while I was reading this, that our God is an amazing planner, if you think about it. I mean, he plans things that are like, wow, it is eye-opening. And so as, as I got that revelation, I then realized, where I got it from. Because, you know, I consider myself one of the better planners that are out there. If you ask my mother, she will say to you, girls always got a plan. And I do. I always have a plan for something. Now, whether it goes smoothly or not, that's a whole different direction. So I'm going to tell you about a plan I had just recently. I received an email from Xfinity and they told me that my modem was old and that if I wanted to take advantage of the high speeds on the Internet, I needed to replace my modem. I was like, well, okay, I can, I can do that. I did it the first time. I can do it the second time. I had a plan. 
go get the modem. No, first I had to do research on what modem should I buy. What was compatible with Xfinity? Because you need to know that. So I do my research. I find out what's compatible with Xfinity, and I go to Walmart because I don't want to wait either. You know, because, you know, when you order from Amazon and all those, you know, I don't want to wait. So I go to Walmart. I get the modem. I come to church. This was actually Good Friday when I did this. So I come to church, and I got a plan. Saturday, I'm going to take the time and replace my modem. Okay, Saturday, I, I'm all ready. I sit down, I unplug the old one, plug in the new one, figure I'm done. How many of you know that didn't go so well? I was like, uh, what happened here? I lost my network. I lost, and by losing my network, I lose access to the internet. And they tell you to go on the internet to... To troubleshoot, not only just to troubleshoot, but also to set it up. You have to go on the Internet to set it up. <laughs> I have no Internet access at all. Now, the problem gets worse because I can't get anybody on the phone. How many of you have tried to get service person from somewhere on the telephone? You can't anymore. Xfinity wants to troubleshoot everything through texting. Okay? Now, that's all well and good if you've got the Internet going. I'm like, okay, what are we going to do? Anyway, to say the least, I finally, after two hours, realized I have purchased the wrong thing. <laughs> after all of that, two hours later, I have the wrong thing. So... I unplugged the new one, replugged in the old one, and then called them and they put it back online and I was good to go. And I returned the, the modem to Walmart. So that's how my plan went. It's wonderful that God's plans don't go that way. It's a good thing. Now, sometimes because we get in the middle of it, we shift ourselves, but God's plan is unchangeable and it is also going to be accomplished it is going to be accomplished because that's his promise the, these things don't happen like i said with the plan of god god always has a plan if you look at isaiah 46 10 it tells you god always has a plan but the difference that his plan and purpose is unchangeable and will be accomplished. God's plan is also revealed in three distinct parts being carried out by three persons. The father in headship, the son in the, in the area of carrying it out, and the Holy Spirit of, is also carrying it out through us. So that's how the plan of God's works. Tonight, we're going to focus on the Father. Because like I said, our God is an awesome planner. And his plans are truly unchangeable and they will be accomplished. If you look at Jeremiah 29, 11, it says in the, it says in the King James Version, it says, 
or New King James, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Me, I like the New Living Translation, which says, for I know the plans. And since this is about plans, that's the one we're going with. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. The message says, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. So our first letter tonight is plan. We're going to talk about plan. The definition of a plan is a detailed proposal for doing or achieving something or an intention or decision about what is going what is going to be done. That's what a plan is. And God says, I know what I'm doing. He's omnipotent, omnipresent. He is not bound by time which means that he sees into 2022 way back when and said, I know what I'm doing in 2022. He's made a plan and it's a glorious plan. It's a plan that to give you a future and a hope. Amen. Amen. So I want to look at people that God had a plan for. All right. And our first one is Joseph and Daryl's going to bring up Genesis 45, 4 through 11. And it says, And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. God had a plan. God had a plan here, and it is to preserve life. Now, could God have done it without Joseph and his brother selling him to Egypt? And all, uh, Absolutely. But see, somebody got their grubby little hands on the plan and said, ah, but see, God knew. And so he said, I still have a plan, and my plan is going to get accomplished. And then he says, for these two years, the famine has been in the land and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve, hallelujah, a prosperity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, we all know that when, you know, you know God, is, God gets blamed for stuff, that he doesn't stop. So, you know, yeah, God could have gotten Joseph where he needed Joseph to be without them selling him into slavery, without any of those things happening to him, him spending time in the prison, him, you know, messing around and Pharaoh's wife getting after him. God could have made his plan happen. But like I said, some people get their grubby little paws on it and figure out they're trying to help God. How many of you go around helping God? Come on. Yeah, we help God. 
God doesn't need our help. As pastor would say, we need to do our part and let God do his part. But he doesn't need our help. So we need to focus on what God is telling us to do in the plan, in the overall plan. Hurry and go up to my father, and, and verse 9, right? Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. God uses Joseph to preserve Israel. He would be the person used to preserve them. They all ended up in one place, which is the land of Goshen. They were in one place, and they all came out of that one place when time wound up and it was time for them to leave. He didn't have to go, okay, I got a few over here, I got a few over there, I got, and I need to pull them. God planned for all of them to be in Goshen in one place. Four million people. I bet you you can't plan to get four million people in one place. But our God can. Amen? Amen. Abraham, in Genesis 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The plan for Abraham to get out of the country from his family and his father's house to a land that God would show him. He didn't know what that land was. God said, I'll show it to you. So, you know, that's we, talk, we call that blind faith sometimes. I'm stepping out on blind faith. God said, I'm going to show it to you. Abraham doesn't follow the plan exactly. He doesn't follow the plan exactly because he takes Lot <laughs> with him. He got a bunch of people that he wasn't supposed to have with him. But he still goes and God says, here's my plan for you. The plan included seven things. Make him into a great nation, bless him, make his name great. He would be a blessing. God would bless those who blessed him, curse anyone who treated him with contempt, and all the people of the earth would be blessed through him. All the people of the earth. How many of us are peoples? All right. We blessed through Abraham through the plan that God had for Abraham. Another group of people that, that did some planning, because with plans, too, God uses them to direct, he uses them to predict, and he uses them to give direction. So we have the prophets. God used the prophets in his plan. And my, one of my favorites is Jonah. Jonah is one of my favorites 
only from the standpoint was God tells Jonah, here's my plan. I need you to go to Nineveh. It says in verse in chapter one, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and cry out against it for their wickedness has come up before me. That's the plan. Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. Jonah decides, I'm not going. You know, because he understands what God wants to do. And he knows that if Nineveh repents, God's going to forgive them. And he don't want them people forgiven. He has a plan. Jonah has his own plan. Okay? Now, we know what happened to Jonah following his own plan. He spent, he spent three days in a big fish. You know, we all say it's a whale, but the Bible says it was a big fish. He spent three days. And then the fish <laughs> vomits him out up onto the shore. And God says, go to Nineveh. And then Jonah goes to Nineveh. See, you don't have to go through all that. All you have to do is follow the plan. In Jonah chapter 3, he says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Now see, in verse 2, we see that Jonah learned his lesson. In verse 3, it says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. I guess after you spend three days in a big fish, you learn your lesson pretty well. You know, sometimes we have to learn it the hard way. Amen. Our kids do the same thing. You know, you tell them over and over again. And then all of a sudden something happens and it comes true. But they learned it the hard way. So Jonah kind of learned it the hard way. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if the Lord will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And he did not do it. That's what Jonah didn't want to happen. He really wanted Nineveh to perish. So that's why he didn't go the first time. But after spending the three days in the, in the belly of the whale, he decided, ah, oh, it's best to follow the plan of God. Amen? So he did. 
But that's what the prophets, the prophets were there to do. Through them, God would warn. He would predict the future or give direction. And as we see in Daniel, he predicts the future. And we're not going to to go through all of those chapters, but in, in you see the visions, the dreams that Daniel has. He God predicts what's going to happen. And he also warned in it with through Daniel. And then in Ezekiel, and Pastor spent, uh, I forget how many weeks we spent on Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. I mean, he was warning Israel. He warned Israel through Ezekiel all through those chapters, telling them, this is what's going to happen to you. All the things you hold dear, I'm going to remove from you. And still, they continued on. So God will, in fact, use different people in different ways to get his plan to his people. He used his prophets. He, he had a plan for Abraham. He had a plan for Joseph because he needed something to be accomplished. And it, in terms of Joseph, the accomplishment was to have Israel all in one place. Abraham, what was accomplished was he needed Abraham to be in such a position that he could sacrifice Isaac so that God could sacrifice Christ for us. Amen. Amen. If You know, I don't want to think about what would happen if Abraham wouldn't do that. Because, you know, some things are specific, I believe, to certain people. That was specific to Abraham. You know, me, left to me, I'd have been telling him, take Ishmael. Go ahead. He said, take your son. Go ahead. Take Ishmael up there. That's why he didn't tell Sarah. He couldn't because Sarah be like, you are not taking my son anywhere. You better go get that other boy. You know it. You know it. You mamas that's sitting out there, you know that's what was going to go on. And then the, so, so he needed to be into, he needed to follow that plan or get, God needed him to get to where he would follow his plan so he, that could happen because that was part of the plan of salvation and redemption. Amen? Amen. Now, the other thing is about the path that people take. You know, Psalms, 37:23 says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way though he fall he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand but it says the steps of a good man by allowing God to order our steps we will be on the correct path but we have to gladly allow God to order our steps. You know, many times when we have our own plan and we work in our own plan, we want God to bless our own plan. Well, God, I want to go this way. Bless that. And God goes, I'm not blessing that. That's not the plan. Now, just because a path is hard doesn't mean it's the wrong path. And that's something I had to learn. And you know, I, I quote these things because 
I get them from pastor. <laughs> and, and they work. And they're true. Just because a, a path is hard or becomes difficult doesn't mean you're on the wrong one. Some, sometimes it is that you're on the wrong one. And we're going to look at, oh, 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 I know what it was. The path, I'm going to throw something in here on this one. That's what it was. The path that Abraham was on was on the wrong one. That's how we get Hagar, by the way. God didn't tell him to go to Egypt. He didn't tell him. He stops in Egypt. And when he's in Egypt, he picks up slaves. Hagar was Egyptian. It's potential that that's where he picks up Hagar and we pick up, we get Ishmael. And as Helen Trowbridge once said, you have two brothers fighting over daddy's land to this day. You still have two brothers fighting over daddy's land to this day. So if Abraham is not on the path to Egypt, we might have had a different outcome there, but we'll have to wait for we get to heaven for the videotape or have some sit-down questions and talk about it. So, but but for this one, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about Daniel. And so, in Daniel chapter six, it says, "Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home." To give you, you probably remember the background. They got together, knew Daniel, every day prayed opened up the windows and prayed to his God and didn't care who saw him or anything. So they came up with a plan to trap Daniel. And it says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he knew that it was signed. He goes home and in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom. That was his path. Every day, three times a day. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. That was his path every day to do just that. And they set out to trap him. But Daniel allowed God... <clears throat> To order his steps along that path, knowing full well what was going to happen. Now, he may not have known about the complete lion's den thing, but he knew something bad was going to happen because they set it up that way. And still, he gladly allowed God to order his steps. That's why I said, because it's hard doesn't mean that it's the wrong path. It just means that something great is on that path. And in this case, his deliverance from the lion's den is on that path. And the king says, you know, that Daniel's God is great. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, so just because the path is hard, just because the path has a lion's den on it, doesn't mean it's the wrong path. And when we look at the three Hebrew boys, pastor's favorite, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I got it right. I wrote it down. 
After this teaching, I probably won't remember. I'll go back to calling them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, it's Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And if we look at Daniel chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 8. Did I get that right, D? <laughs> Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in sympathy with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Here we go. Here we go. We set in a trap for these three guys and Daniel who are on a certain path here in Babylon. Amen? And so they, they set up this thing and they said, okay, you got it. When you hear the sound, bow down to this God. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Jealousy is a bad thing. Jealousy is a bad thing. Jealousy and envy are bad things. They lead folk to do bad stuff. And that's all this is. They are jealous of these four men. And if you go back into the story a little bit more, you find that they decide to live a certain way. They're on a path, eating certain things, worshiping their God and being allowed to do so. And because of that, they are blessed. They are extremely blessed. And these people hate that. And so they're always trying to get them. When, like I said, because the path is hard, don't mean it's the wrong one. And this path gets really hard for them. Amen? It gets really hard for them. So if we get to 13, is where I left off, I believe. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up. Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. That's why I say this path is getting hard. They, but they stand up. Because they are delighting in the fact that God is ordering their footsteps. They are saying to them, 
the delight that they have in their God, the knowledge that they have in their God, that the plan that they know that their God has for them, he's going to deliver us. We're done here. We don't have anything more to say. We are done. And then he says, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. I love the fact that the word keeps saying burning, fiery furnace. Like we don't get it, that it was either burning or fiery, that it was a bad deal, you know. So it's letting us know the extent of how hot this thing was. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, I want to stop right there. Okay, it killed them, but they didn't kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego right then. How is that possible? Yeah. Now, it, you know, these people are holding on to them. They are dying. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are still like, what y'all going to do now? <laughs> you know? I'm just like, oh my. But here they are. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down into the furnace. They fell in the furnace because the people who were holding them burn up. So they're like, so they fell into the furnace. I was like, wow, that's amazing. You would have thought at that point, somebody would have said, yo, you know what? We need to leave these dudes alone because they got something going that we don't understand here. And maybe we should talk to them and find out what it is they got going. But no, they still go ahead with the plan. I guess you in for a dollar, you in for a hundred dollars. You, you know, you got to go with it. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He said, Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Jesus will be with you. Jesus will be with you. Amen. Word of God says, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, bad path, rough path, Jesus will be with you. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the fire, burning fire. How did he see into that furnace? I, that's what, you know, anybody got an answer for that one? Somebody send an answer if you got it on Facebook. Huh? Oh, okay. Well, maybe that's it. Because, I mean, folks were dying trying to drop them in there. 
I ain't looking in no window. <laughs> I'm not looking in no window. But anyway, then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Now, it, come on. Now you get it? After you throw the dudes in there? Servants of the Most High God? Now you do this? Oh, my God. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. Now, they fell in. And people are going to drop them in. How do they come out like this? I'm, you know, these are the questions I have. Yes. <laughs> and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. That's their path, was to serve and worship their own god, the god of the universe, the god of heaven and earth. That's who that's what path they were on, and that's what they did. Therefore, I speak a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Here we go. Now we, now we promote it again. <laughs> Promotion got them into this. <laughs> now they're promoted once again because they're like, we're staying on the path that we know is the right path. So here was promotion when they got onto that path and stayed on that path. Amen? Our last P, there were three P's, right? Plan, path, and the last one is position. When we know the plan of God and gladly allow him to direct our path, we end in the right position. We are in the right position. Now, one of the... uh, illustration sometimes I use is an umbrella you know it's raining outside and when you stand underneath the umbrella you stay dry you stay protected when you step outside the umbrella you're going to get wet exactly so under the umbrella is the right position when it's raining outside of the umbrella now I know guys don't like carrying umbrellas so that that illustration may not work for them Well, some guys, some guys don't like carrying umbrellas. They rather just be wet, I guess. I don't know. Water is not necessarily my friend in that respect. Um, So I will carry an umbrella. So if you're under the umbrella, you're protected. You're in the right position. 
And that's where God wants us to be in the right position to help with the accomplishment of his plan. David in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 5, it said it happened. And this is, a, this is an example of where you shouldn't be. I, I don't want you guys to think. <laughs> this is where you shouldn't be. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. David is king. He's a warrior, big-time warrior. He does not go with his army. He's in the wrong position. It says, Spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle. David's king, he ain't going out to battle. It says then in verse 2, it says, Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. First of all, he's sleeping all day. He king, come on. You have a kingdom to run and oversee, amen? Why are you still asleep in the middle of the day? You're not out warring, so what are you doing? But David's in the wrong position. He's in the wrong position here. And because he's in the wrong position, something bad happens. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Something bad happened. Because David was out of position from where he was supposed to be. Amen? So when we are out of position from where we're supposed to be, bad things can happen. Now, like I said, just because a path gets hard doesn't mean you're out of position. All right? But there are times when you are out of position and bad things happen. And David and Bathsheba is one of those examples of of something like that that can happen. We see him in the wrong position physically, which led him to a wrong position spiritually. And that's what can happen to us, is we can be in the wrong position and we'll be there physically and it will give us the wrong idea spiritually. For example, okay, um, I and many of you may not have heard this, but some people have heard this. You know, uh, people go were going around at least when I was younger as a young woman claiming husbands. You know, that's my husband. That's my husband. That's my husband. That's a bad position, and it's going to get you in a bad position spiritually, especially when that man belongs to somebody else. Because that's what was happening too. Well, he's with the wrong one. Excuse me? No. 
You are in the wrong position physically, and you are in the wrong position spiritually. So those things can happen. So David is in the wrong position, and spiritually then he goes and he takes somebody's wife. And what got me was he sent her back home afterwards. He puts her, to me, he puts her out. Why didn't you keep her? You sent her to get her. Why didn't you keep her? Why did you send her back home? So we're, so spiritually, he's not, he's not thinking along the lines that God would have him to think. And what's amazing also is God, you know, God says that David was a man after God's own heart. You can be after God's own heart and still sometimes get yourself into trouble. But we serve a forgiving and loving God. Amen. Amen. Glory be to God. And he sets it up and goes, okay, we're going to get you back. We're going to get you back. And if we're willing and obedient, we'll get back. Amen. Amen. Then we have Abraham in Genesis 22, 2 through 19. And it says that this is, and I'm going to skip uh, verses 2 to 4, Daryl, and I'm jumping to 5. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? For the burnt offering. Now, I don't know about you guys. How many of your sons going to let you just bound them up (laughs) with a rope or load them up with wood and fire and everything else and go, come on, we're going this way. But Isaac goes, okay, but where's the lamb? We We need a lamb. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear me, fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. So because Abraham could do that or was willing to do that, God then legally could sacrifice his only son. So that's why I said, you know, Abraham had to be in that position spiritually. He had to be in that position physically so that the redemption power of God could come our way. Amen. And then he said, um, then Abraham lifted, uh, then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for the burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. 
Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. And he had given him that before. When he took him out and he said, see the stars and see the sand, that's part of that plan. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. So Abraham was in the correct spiritual position by the time he is asked to sacrifice Isaac. And, you know, Pastor has taught on all the things that God had to do to get Abraham ready to be in that position. And that's what happens with us is that, you know, God will direct our path. God will show us the plan or tell us the plan of what he has for our lives, what he wants to do with our lives. God says, I've given you everything for life and godliness is what he says. So he's given you what you're going to need on the path of which he's placed you so that you are in position to help him accomplish his unchangeable and the plan that is going to happen. If we're in Revelations now, if you look at Revelations, that's the plan of God. That's the plan of God. That is, that is, that, and he's telling us This is what I'm going to do. This is what is going to happen. Now, we we praise God won't be here. We'll be watching it from the bleachers going, "Mm, mm, mm, look at that. Look at that. But we'll watch it unfold. But God is telling us this is what's going to happen. He will tell you the plan. If you are willing to hear the plan and not get, and this one I'm I'm definitely stealing. It is not that the plan was impossible to understand. It is simply understood as impossible. We have to get to a place where we don't talk about the impossible plans of God. We want to get to the place where we're going, anything is possible for God. Because that's what he said. So instead of going, that's impossible. I don't know. It is possible for our God, and we need to stand on that. And, and like Pastor said on Sunday, if you doubt it, don't shout it. Keep your lips shut. And that's the hardest thing in the world to do, especially when somebody comes to you and says to you, well, what, what are you going to do about that? You know, and you and you've got something, you know, God has told you something that sounds impossible or you don't understand it. So what do you say? What do you say at that point? So you go, hmm, I got nothing right now. I told somebody that the other day. They asked me something. I said, I got nothing right now. Check back with me. Because I was not willing to say something contrary to what I knew to be in the word of God about my situation, 
about who I am, about what God has in store for me. You know, so when they asked me that, I was like, I, I got nothing. I'll, I'll let you know, you know. So that's where we have to be. We have to be willing to allow God to, to put us on the right path so that we're in position to receive. We're in the position to do what he has wants us to do. The plan and, the, and purpose of God are unchangeable. And will be accomplished, as I said in the beginning. As his sons and daughters here on earth, our part is to know the plan of God, to gladly allow ourselves to be directed. Gladly. Don't go kicking and screaming. You know, as some of us will do when God says, I need you over here. <laughs> kicking and screaming. Gladly go. Because you understand that this is God the Father. This, he has a plan. It's going to get accomplished. It's unchangeable. And you are part of that. That's the exciting part for me, is that I am part of God's overall plan for something. Hallelujah. The God of the universe looks out and says, okay. I'm like, out of here me but that's why it's so exciting because he is the god of the universe and then we can't think of ourselves as unable if god has said that he wants you to do it he will also equip you to do that to be in position to get it done so as I was saying, to gladly allow ourselves to be directed to the right path, which puts us in the right position. Praise God. Hold on. Just, yeah. Hold on. Just hold on. So remember the plan, the path, position, and how they work. Right position spiritually, right position physically, and could be vice versa. And like I said, if you are on, if the path is rough, it doesn't mean it's the wrong one. God, because he's not bound by time, has placed what you need on that path. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word tonight. We thank you, Father God, that as it went forth, it ministered and did exactly what it was supposed to do. I thank you, Father God, for your amazing planning ability. I thank you, Father God, that we will gladly allow you to direct our path and that we are in the position that we need to be in at the right time and at the right moment so that you receive the glory and all the world will see the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the God of the universe, the God, hallelujah, that created heaven and earth. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. 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 Thank you. Any questions?